0: Hi, I'm Anastasia Bussis. I am a two-time Olympic speed skater. My whole life, I have been surrounded by athletes, and every one of them has a story that a scoreboard will never capture.
1: It's not an easy thing to be with an athlete. They don't understand why they're making fun of me because I like to figure a skate.
0: Players' own voice is all about the person inside the performance.
2: When you're so in it, I think perhaps we're the people that understand it the least.
0: Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts.
3: This is a CBC podcast.
1: People kept asking me, so why did you put it on? Like, you look so beautiful, your hair is so
2: nice. Like, uh, did your dad make you wear it? I always say it's the little old lady who's giving me stink eye that gives me the impression that I am responsible for every single terrible thing that's ever done by a Muslim.
0: Harv, I hear you have a special connection to today's topic.
4: Absolutely, and I'm very, very excited about it. And, uh, of course, Elena, you can see me, but our listeners can't. So yes. let me tell them that I wear a turban.
0: For the benefit of radio, Harv is six foot tall.
4: <laughs> he keep...
0: has six-pack abs. <laughs> Stunning.
4: Go, keep going, Elena. Keep going. <laughs> All right. Turban. And the interesting thing about uh, the turban is... It's considered a deeply re- religious symbol, but that I'm an atheist. Hmm. Why do you still do that then? Because my dad did it, his dad did it, and his dad did it.
0: So you have a cultural tie to it, it uh, and a I family have, tie to it.
4: Absolutely. I feel it gives me a sense of community. I wear it more for cultural reasons.
0: Hmm. This episode, you're getting two questions for the price free of one. We're talking about why do you wear a headscarf and why don't you wear a headscarf. Questions that get asked to Muslim women.
4: People are curious, and that's great.
0: But there are some questions you just shouldn't ask, or at least not like that.
4: I'm Harvinder Wadhwa.
0: I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle,
4: and this is Inappropriate Questions.
0: Let's get inappropriate. This episode, we're speaking to Miriam Noser. Miriam is a blogger, mental health advocate, and entrepreneur. She's the former president of the Muslim Students Association at her university. She also founded Infinitely Classic, an ethical apparel brand that features designs in Arabic. And she's written a lot about her experiences as a Muslim woman, both wearing and not wearing the hijab. So, Mariam, you have experience on both sides of the questions we're talking about. Would you like to tell us about a time you were
1: asked why do you wear a headscarf or why don't you wear a headscarf? So, I've been wearing the hijab for a total of five years. Um, I started wearing it just before university in 2013. And I took it off the following year uh, after I experienced a really traumatic uh, Islamophobic attack. Mm. Uh, And I took it off for eight months and I put it back on in 2015. And I've been wearing that for four years now. And yeah, so the question of why do I wear the hijab is probably more prominent than why I don't wear the hijab because I have the privilege of passing as white Mm. when I'm in spaces when I'm not wearing the hijab, because I am quite fair, and so people don't presume that I am Muslim. Mm. But people ask me a lot, especially why did I put it on, why do I wear it, and my answer to that is, Ever since I was about 16 years old, I always wanted to proclaim my identity as a Muslim person. I've always been a faithful person and very in touch with my beliefs. And people kept asking me, so why did you put it on? Like, you look so beautiful. Your hair is so nice. Like, uh, did your dad make you wear it? Does that mean uh, you're not going to come and hang out with us anymore? Uh, Does that mean you're going to do this, going to do that? And just... They were more concerned of how I was was going to treat them just because I was wearing a cloth on my head and I wore more modest clothing than what I decided to do for myself. And um, I remember family friends of my grandmother used to ask me, like, you don't have to choose Islam. Islam is a hard religion. Like, Mm. uh, your mom's family is Christian. Why don't you choose that faith? It's really easy. And I said, you know what? I find I resonate more with the Islamic faith. And while I appreciate all faiths of any kind, uh, I feel like Islam was the the right choice for me and I feel more at peace mm-hmm.
4: before we go any further uh, you said you faced uh, islamophobic attack mm-hmm. would you want to share a little bit more on that
1: yeah for sure I've uh, shared it many times so it's uh I've experienced, on many different levels, uh, mostly microaggressions, but uh, there's two blatant attacks that happened to me uh, a year apart that really have changed me and my mentality towards the hijab. So I was on the subway, I used to commute from Etobicoke and I noticed this woman was staring at me in a really weird way and I heard her murmur something, but I didn't make much of it, so I said whatever, I'm just gonna go to the door that I get off at and I'm just gonna get ready to get off and change trains. And um, all of a sudden, I felt something wet on my neck. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, what is this? I didn't touch it, so I just pulled my scarf away from me and I looked and I said, that's definitely spit. And she's like, go back to where you came from. You are not. You don't belong here. I'm like, well, I'm from Etobicoke, so you want to send me back to Etobicoke? I will surely go to Etobicoke tonight. Actually uh, half an hour away. Yeah. <laughs> And um, before I was getting off, she started, like, pulling at my hijab a little bit. And luckily, I had pins on that didn't make it fall off because then my hair would show. Um, And luckily, the doors to Blue Young opened. So I
4: got out. And no one said a word.
1: No one said a word that time. But my second time, somebody said a word. Um, So that time was when I put the hijab back on. This was in the fall of 2015. And I was with two of my friends. They're South Asian, uh, visible Muslim. We're all Muslim, actually. And... um, this guy's like, I wish I had a gun and so I can shoot you all. You don't deserve to be here, blah blah really? blah. And I Yikes. said, What is, what is your problem? Like I didn't say any word to you. And he seemed a bit drunk, so I, even though that's not acceptable, I, I feel like he was on his senses. But that time it was so funny. Imagine this: uh, a white man coming down, the car because he saw what was happening, and he's wearing a huge cross, and he's like. Don't worry, guys, this guy's an idiot. You go back to where you came from. Uh, these people deserve to be here as well. And this, is, you're the terrorist, not them. And uh, so he got got off a Spadina and I filed a police report. They didn't find the guy because, of course, the camera was broken in that car. Of course.
4: <laughs> so we are not in as civilized city as we claim to be.
0: Yeah, I would say... When someone asks you why you wear your hijab, why why are they asking this? What are they trying to get at?
1: They're trying to understand why the hijab was said in the Quran to wear. And hijab is not just clothing, but it's like your modesty. and Right. Modesty comes also from action, right? Mm. Mm. So I think people ask me because they're just curious or they're nosy or they really want to see if I'm oppressed because... Mm. People think they are part of my liberation when I'm already liberated. Right. And the thing is, hijab, while some women are forced to wear it by their families, is a choice. It is a choice of ours and our faith. And a cloth is not going to make me a good or bad person. Mm -hmm. You know, it's what's in my heart, what's in my brain, how I treat people, my work ethic. Um, That's what I'm going to be judged on when I leave this world.
4: Let's go one step back. Mm -hmm. Why do you think wearing a hijab for you is important. You said it makes you a better Muslim, uh, if I heard it correctly.
1: I don't think it makes me a better Muslim.
4: Okay, better person. Yeah. Better person? you s-
1: uh, I don't think it makes me a better person either. I just think it's a way for me to proclaim me as a Muslim, and I feel like because I'm representing, representing in quotes, a large group of people by wearing this thing around my head and wearing modest clothing, that i need to work on myself and be cognizant of what i'm doing on an everyday basis i can't just be like oh i don't care let me do whatever i want today and i don't care if it affects other people i just care about what i'm doing i become really in tune of how i'm representing my religion Hmm.
0: on the flip side when you weren't wearing the hijab, were there ever questions about why you didn't wear it? Uh, assumptions about who you were as a Muslim because you were a Muslim, but you didn't wear this this signifier, this mm-hmm. piece of cloth?
1: Yeah, so when I took it off uh, for that eight months, uh, definitely a lot of Muslims asked me the question, like, why did you take it off? Like, mm. are you denouncing Islam? Like, are you still a Muslim? Uh, Muslims assume that all the... They're not practicing, right. or oh, they don't pray, or oh, they don't fast, or oh, they might eat pork, or they drink alcohol, or they do this. Have well, what's their problem? Y- yes, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like to call them the aunties. The aunties are the ones that think this, right?
4: Aunties and the a u n t i e s. Yeah, aunties. Oh, okay, as in like the all right. Not A-N-T. No, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not like anti. Yeah,
1: no, aunties. Yeah. Yeah. The aunties, yeah. like the aunties, are the ones who. Yes. yeah. Yeah. What are the
0: differences other than, of course, the different responses you get from friends and family that you've talked about? Like, what do you what do you have you noticed as different between those two experiences?
1: Some of them are like how people treat me at work or how people treat me in general or how they value my opinion, mm. how they include me in settings. As simple as I notice when I'm on this go train, nobody wants to sit beside me. Oh my gosh! But which I don't mind because I want the room. <laughs>
3: but, <laughs> you're
1: like,
0: oh, you're lost. Yes. I get
1: to stretch out my legs. Exactly.
4: That's the yes. beauty about subway because a lot of people don't want to sit beside me, but there is so much limited seating that there are more people who just want a seat. They don't care. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh.
4: Uh, I I can uh, empathize with that because when I used to take go bus. I used to get the two seats. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. My gosh. That's wild that you notice a real difference there. Oh, God, Oh, my gosh. For sure.
4: This piece of cloth, this is the unifier between the right and the left. Mm -hmm. I don't know why both sides are so scared of this piece of cloth. If you look at Quebec and France and uh, other Western countries who are uh, vehemently opposed to wear niqab, Am I hearing it right? At least that's my belief, too, that they are looking for a solution to a problem that doesn't exist? Exactly. And at the same time, we will acknowledge that there will be some people who are being forced to wear that.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So
4: in your opinion, what is the right solution?
1: I think people need to stop policing women's bodies or people of color's bodies all the time because I just think it's horrible that people can't, practice their beliefs or their their comfort zone is being uh, compromised because people are not comfortable with them wearing what they wear mm-hmm. and which is horrible and I think it's they're making like something really hot and burning when it's not supposed to be it's, it's just like lukewarm like happy <laughs> like, that's my analogy like you don't need to add fire to anything like or oil to fire like mm-hmm. don't do that there is nothing It's just let them be let them live Uh, with dignity and respect.
0: My name is Faria Ahmed. So one day I went to my supervisor's office to ask if I could take some time off to celebrate Eid. It is a religious holiday that Muslims celebrate to commemorate the end of Ramadan. So my supervisor was very surprised that I wanted a day off because they didn't know that I was Muslim. And we eventually stumbled on the topic of headscarves. So my supervisor immediately said to me, Oh good, you don't wear one. It doesn't suit your personality. That phrase had so many implications behind it, such as, Do Muslim women then behave a certain way? Are they more shy? Because I'm a really bubbly person. Are they then more restricted in some way? Am I therefore not good enough to wear a headscarf? We'll be back with Miriam in a second. I'd like to share a part of my conversation with Amira El-Gawabi. Amira is an expert on issues of media representation, hate crimes, and human rights. She's also the former director of communications at the National Council of Canadian Muslims. Here's Amira. Why do you think someone, um, specifically a non-Muslim person or a non-Muslim woman, might ask that question? Like, What are they getting
2: at? So, you know, I think I actually would take a step back and say my experience now is that less and less people are asking the question at all. And and in fact, what I'm feeling is that there's a lot of assumptions that are just being made um, and left there and due to like the whole change in geopolitics that has occurred in the past 20 years, uh, especially um, after Mm 9-11. So now sometimes, you know, I feel that people are not asking the questions, but certainly looking at me in – uh, a sort of a suspicious way in an uncomfortable way right. um, you know every single time something happens involving Muslims that's negative um, you know I always say it's the little old lady who's giving me stink eye that gives me the impression that I am responsible for every single terrible thing that's ever done by a Muslim right. which is very sad and so it's almost like I, it's not that I want an inappropriate question but I would prefer that people came up to me and, and, and ask me to explain to them if they're sincere, so that they they can check their own assumptions, often negative.
0: Right, for sure. I want to dig into some of the assumptions you were talking about. Where do you think that might come from?
2: Well, I mean, the truth of the matter is there are uh, countries in the world um, where Muslim women are forced to wear, um, you know, uh, uh, burqa. In some countries like Afghanistan, we know that that was a very, um, you know, frequent image that we saw and it was horrific. It's horrific to me. I actually once had a chance to try on one of the um, actual burqas that were being forced by the Taliban at the time. And it was the most suffocating thing I've ever, like, I literally couldn't last like 30 seconds trying it on. But at the end of the day what's very important for me as a human rights advocate to say is that um, you know I very much uh, subscribe to the to this great saying by an author named Aradanti Roy who said it's not about whether or not um, a woman is wearing a burqa or not or a headscarf or not. The essential point is was there coercion So to coerce a woman to wear one is just as bad as to coerce her, to not wear one, as is happening, unfortunately, in some European countries like France, where women are not allowed to wear the headscarf. So the idea is that what we should be thinking about as, you know, human rights advocates, and we answer these questions, is that no one should ever be forced to do anything. I mean, I think that's a fundamental, again, going back to uh, our general human rights principles, no one should be forced. And that's very much in line with my faith. That's very much in line with Islam. But as I said, going back to these images of burqas and women being forced and women in Iran who are forced to wear it, you know, against their will. And so for me, I I totally understand when people will have those assumptions, you know, especially when that's, often very frequently portrayed in pop culture, you know, these all, you know, leave a lasting impression. And I appreciate the opportunity to explain that, again, when people want to know, because of course, what they see on TV, what they see happening in certain countries where people are being forced to do something, um, I can understand that they would, that they might have that assumption.
0: Right. You, you're talking a lot about the change um, after 9-11. And I think, most of us probably have some knowledge about what that entails, but do you want to just expand a bit more on how things have changed for Muslim women and for that kind of visibility after, in the wake of nine eleven?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I I know that um, I know that maybe some of your audience won't remember those days, um, <laughs> <I, laughs>
0: freaking Gen uh, Z or whatever,
2: <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. But so so just to say, I mean, basically, obviously, it was a, it was a horrific tragedy when um, 9-11 happened in New York, and it was very much a, a time of, of fear, um, of of, um, of heightened anxiety. You know, women in headscarves were being verbally assaulted, assaulted. Um, there were all sorts of uh, negativity, obviously, and none of that has really gone away. Many, many studies now have demonstrated that any terrorism related to you know, where a Muslim may have been implicated um, is far more likely to be reported on than any other kind of um, extremist activity like the alt-right or uh, white supremacy. So in the public mind, I think one study demonstrated like of all of these stories where 6% of the perpetrators were Muslim, the coverage was 86% of all the coverage was about that six percent where muslims were implicated so in the public mind it's like whoa all the bad stuff is happening and being committed by muslims versus like being more balanced Is to really there's a lot of um uh, you know extremist um activity that happens um by all sorts of groups in our society unfortunately mm-hmm. um but the one that gets the most sensationalized attention is is muslims and so again we as muslim women um who wear the headscarf we carry that every time we step out of our house
3: right
0: does culture or race really impact these assumptions
2: Absolutely. I, I think um, there's, there are so many, so many layers and intersectionalities when we're talking about these types of issues. Um, and I'm, like my head actually starts spinning when I think about it. There, there's so much at play. Not only do we think about um, how Muslim women who wear a headscarf are interacting with sort of the general public, but also within our own Muslim communities, there's a lot of assumptions even there. There's, uh, unfortunately, a lot of um, uh, racism, inter-community racism, anti-Black racism is an issue as well. So that adds um, some discomfort among um, Muslim women um, who are Black and who are a significant portion of our communities and how they're interacting within the community and then also beyond. And they're facing both Islamophobia as well as anti-Black racism.
0: In your opinion, are questions like this about the headscarf inappropriate questions?
2: Inappropriate questions are those that are asked in a a hateful hurtful way Um, But the ones that are asked out of a true sense of wanting to know and better understand and to be a better Ally, I think those are always welcome and I think we need to um, Encourage people to ask them more and to strike up true sincere conversations The conventional
3: idea of who is a Muslim or what does a Muslim look like is built up a lot in people's heads, especially in the Western world. And something I think also gets misconstrued a lot is the origin of women actually having to cover their heads. So a lot of research has actually shown that it's not an Islamic um, convention per se, it's actually pre-Islamic. And we see this a lot with Christian nuns and Orthodox Jewish women as well. Um, I think people also have an archetypal vision of a bearded man and a veiled woman. And a lot of that is thanks to our media. So I think both the news and like big budget Hollywood movies and TV shows, they just perpetuate this image. So sometimes when you don't fit that vision, people get really confused. And you know, the binaries drawn by so many people are just so easy, you know, like the West as being this holy grail of modernity and feminism and human rights and Islam, all Muslims around the world being backward and patriarchal.
0: We're back with Maryam Noser you started a brand called infinitely classic uh, which you say makes ethical clothing featuring arabic text what made you want to start this business
1: that had to do with my muslim identity as being uh, an arab uh, canadian um i wanted something to have the language of the quran and have words that are in the quran on my shirts not all the shirts have it, but I wanted shirts that kind of had it. So my very popular one is my Hope shirt, Amal. Um, it's like in a geometric Islamic design. It has like pop, like really bright colors. Horeya, um, which is freedom. We talk about freedom and many things that we do nowadays. Iman, um, which is faith. Um, those are like my top three that I sell.
4: Amazing.
1: I wanted to empower People like myself to be proud of their roots and uh, where they feel like they belong in, in the fashion world. That's awesome. Yeah. Have you seen more Muslim women being part of the fashion world? Hijab fashion has become so big on Instagram, and on, on YouTube, that there's so many hijabi bloggers now that it's become the norm for Muslim women to wear the hijab now. Mm.
4: And I would have one, never thought of that.
1: Yeah, that's really it's interesting. Like it's a huge, huge industry now. If I'm not mistaken, it's worth a billion dollars. Yo. Yeah.
4: We could have built some wall with that money.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right?
3: (laughs) Wow, that's so so
1: much irony going on right there. Can you imagine? Imagine Trump hearing that right now and be like, oh, damn it.
0: Is there almost like an inverse pressure coming there from... Because we all face pressure from social media, Mm -hmm. except for Harv, who got Instagram like two weeks ago.
1: Um, (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) Welcome to the world of Instagram. Um, Is that
0: becoming almost a new factor in, you know, people's
1: choice? Oh, for sure. hundred percent. And what choice? A player in this Uh, kind of conversation of being forced, right? Both. I think it's both. Um, Because there's a lot of hijabi bloggers that, you know, are so popular, they have great lives that they show they show that they have great lives on it might not be true but on Instagram and and YouTube and people want to be just like them so they're like oh I'm going to wear the hijab I'm going to do this do that and at the same time there's a bunch of hijabi bloggers that took their hijab off recently um mm. and people are feeling uplifted to take it off because it wasn't their choice right, to wear it in the beginning so I think it's a good thing in the sense that people are feeling empowered to choose whether they want to wear it or don't want to wear it. But at the same time, it's also forcing girls to fit an ideal within their communities that, hey, I'm, i I got to be visibly Muslim, or hey, I don't got to be visibly Muslim. It's, it's definitely 50-50 on that one. Right. Uh,
4: given the situation where we are today, with uh, all the hatred, with all those negative things, it's not lukewarm. Let's Mm -hmm. face it. And some people who are appearing to be civilized, inside they are not civilized. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: So
4: what would be your prescription?
1: uh, Other than
4: people listening to a podcast. Yes, yes. solve the world. (laughs) Definitely
1: listening. Um, People first need to be willing to learn and unlearn bad behaviors and bad thoughts. Hmm. It's definitely hard because Islamophobia is rooted in so many other different forms of uh, oppression. Yeah, anti-black racism, other forms of racism, sexism, ableism, transphobia. Because there are trans uh, Muslims that we can't forget about; they're queer Muslims as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like the the work cannot be done just by those who are being oppressed. It's not up to us to be liberated, or it is like we shouldn't be putting our liberation in the hands of others, and we shouldn't be working for others just so they can accept us Mm -hmm. I get tired of explaining to people time and time and time again why I deserve to be at peace in my existence and I think it's important for us to challenge our governments and challenge the society norms because most people are sheep and they're gonna follow whatever is around them so I feel like they need to see that this change happening on a on a grassroots on a organizational level rather than just what are what are other people doing. They people need to be led by example. Sadly, and mm. it's a it's a hard topic deeply rooted in white supremacy and uh, patriarchy. Mm. If you're looking for stuff more about Islam, look for resources that are made by Muslims. Research is definitely your best friend back in school they would say try to work out the problem yourself and if not then you go ask for help right Yeah. same yeah, idea yeah. you know you want going to work on it yourself then ask for help because uh, some people don't like being asked questions right and some people feel like they're being like uh, taken advantage of and you don't want right. to spark that emotion in anybody right yeah
0: to end off going back to the questions we're talking about
1: Are these inappropriate questions? Half of me wants to say, yeah, hell yeah, it's inappropriate, (laughs) Um, but the other half is like, if somebody is really curious and wants to learn, then I'm okay with it. I really wish more people were well-intended and wanted to learn and wanted to ask questions. Right. Um, So yeah, I'm about 50-50 on that. I think it's half inappropriate, half, I don't think it's appropriate, but I think it's half inappropriate, half tolerable. (laughs) I'll say. yeah
0: <laughs> oh my gosh yeah. we should just sell shirts with that we can partner up with yeah Infinelli definitely classic yeah.
3: yeah
0: where can our listeners find you on social media or anywhere else anything so you'd like to plug? I have
1: a facebook page uh mariam noser uh n-o-u-s-c-r is my last name yeah. Miriam with an i <laughs> um and at mariam noser both for instagram and twitter and your and your brand, your clothing brand. Yeah, everywhere. Infinity Classic is on uh, my website, com. Infinity Classic on uh, Facebook and on uh, Instagram. I don't have a Twitter for that one.
4: Awesome. Amazing. Amazing.
1: Thanks so much for being here, Mario. Thank you.
4: It was a pleasure talking to you. You too. I'm Harvinder Dervadva.
0: And I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle.
4: Thanks for getting Inappropriate with us.
0: Thank you to our guests, Mariam Noser and Amira El-Gawabi. You also heard voice notes from Faria Ahmed and Aisha Talreja. As always, make sure to check out the accompanying webcomic for this episode at iqpodcast.com. This episode, it was illustrated by Nisima. You can find her at Muslima. that's M-O-O-S-L-E-E-M-A-R-G-H, on Instagram. Follow us on all the socials, at IQ underscore podcast, and talk to us.
4: We want to hear from you.
0: The cool cats behind this podcast are Sabrina Birch, Aaron Garrett, Cindy Long, and myself.
4: Thank you to our interns and associates, Noah Khan, P.R. Netta, Faria Ahmed, and Hilly Krishman. We are supported by the Ryerson University Transmedia Zone.
0: An inappropriate question is like thinking it's Saturday when it's actually Sunday.